Hi, I'm Lee Salisbury and welcome to a very special extra edition of Soap from the Box. Normally, I'm talking to soap star mates about life on and off the screen. But today, I'm talking to Sophie Ellis-Bexter, someone who I've loved for many years. And over lockdown, I started listening to her podcast called Spinning Plates. And it basically gave me the inspiration to do this. Her sat with a cup of tea, having a good catch up with a mate, but talking about something really dear to her heart. So... I emailed her, I don't know her, the first person on the podcast that I don't know, and she agreed to meet me and do an interview, which was amazing, and I was pretty nervous because, as I said, I'm a big fan, but we had a great chat, and this is the full interview. I can't believe I'm actually interviewing Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and you're getting to listen to it, so this is amazing for me. Hope you enjoy it, and I'll give you information about the next soap from the box with a soap star after this. My next guest on this very special episode of Soap from the Box is is not just about to take over the Queen Vic or the Rovers. I don't think. I don't Sophie know. Ellis Bexter High. train somewhere. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just explain to people why you're on the show, because mm-hmm. you're not running the Queen Vic or the Rovers. I listened to your podcast over lockdown, Spinning Plates, and it was kind of really inspirational for me to think, right, I could do this, as in just subjects close to your heart and also people... First of all, people that you know, friends like Fern Cotton, and then obviously you went out and kind of emailed and got other people. And I listened to your last podcast the other day where you said it gave you the kind of motivation to email people you didn't know, which is basically what I did to you. (laughs) Yeah. And here we are. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to speak to you as well, because I feel like it's good karma, you know, pass it on. Because, yeah, I chuck out these emails into the ether and say, hello, and I've got better. Because the first few emails I'd send to people, I'd always be like, I'm sorry, and I'm sure you don't want to do this. Yeah. I'm sure you're inundated. And just forget you ever got in touch. Just ignore me. Which I think is what I did to you. Like, <laughs> just don't reply if you don't want to do it. Because it yeah. is kind of... But it's I really cringy at This first. last few months has kind of changed things like that, hasn't it? It's enabled people, I think, to think outside the box and do things they might not have done before. Absolutely, yeah. And it's just shown there's a lot of nice people out there as well that are willing to help other people. Definitely, and I think a lot of the... Um, sort of social structure we had in place now it doesn't really feel that relevant I mean I remember when it was the midst of the proper lockdown in maybe April and I had a problem with my banking app so I went down into Barclays and I ended up having this chat with the guy behind the desk about how you know how many kids he had at home and how hard he was finding it to get into work and I was you know and all that stuff you don't normally do but it just felt all the sort of barriers of the normal way we interact with people and the form of that it's sort of changed so we can talk to people a bit more. Everybody relates to it because it's happened to everyone. Yeah. And I think everyone's <laughs> a bit more open now just to talk about everything, it mm. seems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why did you decide? I mean, you obviously started your podcast before lockdown, didn't mm. you? Spinning Plates. What And what, what I love about Spinning Plates is the fact that you're talking about juggling being a mum with working and you're kind of giving yourself more work by doing <laughs> the podcast. Yeah, that's because I'm a mug. Um... <laughs> why did the idea come about? I think I, you know what it's like when you start a project, then halfway through, you kind of realise why you're doing it. It's a bit like that, really. I'm quite a sort of follow your nose kind of person. So when someone, a friend of mine said, oh, I think you should do a podcast. At first I was like, everybody's got a bloody podcast. But then I thought, actually, maybe I can talk to some people. And, you know, I start start with, you know, what you know, as you say. So I thought, well, I, I always find I'm full of guilt and questions about how to balance my work and and my home life and of course this became completely magnified during lockdown I mean how absurd and actually I recorded six of the first series literally I think two weeks before lockdown so very very close 
And then I picked up the, the last four just sort of when we were first allowed to see people. So it really kind of became this parenthesis for that strange bit of time. And yeah, ostensibly, we're talking about being working mums, but really it's just a chance for me to have really lovely chats with some incredible women. We talk about kids maybe, but we also talk about loads of other things. Yeah. And I've been having these... I've realised like during lockdown, I maybe had one one Zoom with some girlfriends where we had a glass of wine and had that. It didn't happen more than once. I found it a bit sad, to be honest. Yes. You know, it just made me feel a bit sad. But with the um, the podcast, I can go out my house. I can say I'm doing this, recording this today. I can press record and I'm allowed like an hour, an hour and a half of a proper conversation, beginning to end, no interruptions. And it's given space and given credence. And I'm like, that is really nice. No, so it's, it's actually really... very indulgent of me. And that's what I love <laughs> listening to, I think. And that's what gave me the idea to this, just because of most of the people I'm talking to are friends as well as actors and stuff. And just, I think it's nice for people to feel like they've got a cup of tea and they're listening into a conversation between mates, but they're also kind of learning about a whole new walk of life do you know what I mean for me because a lot of people yeah. find our industry very kind of detached so I like the fact that they can feel a bit more involved with the people that yeah. they like and it's relatable isn't it a lot of people when they go home and they're not doing that going on with getting on with the same old stuff so yes. it's kind of it's nice to sort of peek behind the curtain of that I guess so normally the podcast is obviously talking to people who are in soap so I normally divide it into their life and but this I'm just throwing everything up in the air and kind of <laughs> doing a, a mixtape of questions for you so let's start with the recent which is the kitchen disco which is kind of like gone crazy now but what uh, it kind of got me and so many people through lockdown I think everyone looked forward to Friday and so many people I know listened to it who weren't even maybe fans of yours before mm. but it was that kind of feeling of like this is something we can look forward to every week do you know what I mean it was a what what how did it come about <laughs> well, it definitely helped us remember what day of the week it was but um I think, like everybody, really, when lockdown first happened, I felt completely discombobulated. I felt pretty useless. I felt like I didn't really know what to prioritise, what to be doing, you know, other than, you know, the domestic stuff. I was just thinking, you know, my Instagram and social media seemed to be full of people baking sourdoughs and exercising yes, and learning a language. A class, and, yeah. and I was Carol thinking, did maths, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. feeling like, I understand that that's a wonderful way to fill time you're not expecting to have, but I can't find the way to do that for myself. You know, I'm struggling to hear myself think and amongst, you know, having mostly very young kids in the house. And I thought, ah, damn it, I'm not a very accomplished musician. I can't accompany myself on piano. I can't play guitar. So I felt really useless. And then Richard said, why don't we just do a gig? Like, we'll just live stream a gig from the house. And I was like, that's bonkers, you know? <laughs> I've got, like, literally a baby crawling along the floor. Like, how on earth is that going to work? And so we did the first gig, and I put on my sequin cat suit, and I was like, okay, here we are. <laughs> and um, I really thought people were going to laugh at me or say, oh, my God, what is what was that? Like, that lady's gone mad. And actually, the feedback we got was really warm, really, really warm. And the interesting thing was as well for Richard and I, is it gave us the same thing in our heads as if we'd done a real gig. We kind of got that same, that same buzz and that yeah, same euphoria, yeah. which is really unexpected. And was it nice to dress up, even like doing the job, do you know what I mean? Like going yeah, and putting all the of outfit it. on and making yourself up. Literally all of it. And, you know, also... It, <laughs> If I have a task, if I'm allowed the space for that task, and because I knew that it was important to Richard and I, but also important to the people that we were, the little community we found ourselves in, you know, on a, on a Friday at four o'clock, it'd be like, right, we're going to move out the stuff out the playroom and then I'll go upstairs while the kids are having supper and I'll put my makeup on and, you know, you prioritise it because it was given space, it was allowed to take that space. So I loved it. It was like so good for my head. And my my eldest is quite... Uh, 
he's quite clever with his observations and he wrote, said to me one day, you know, mum, you do realise you're kind of ranting during the songs and like <laughs> using it as a place to like let things out. And I was like, actually, you're right. I thought it was escape- escapism, but it's actually catharsis. I'm just like ranting and raving yeah. about all the crap that's gone on this week. This, yeah. Yeah. Exercising like, that week's demons. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep, <laughs> still at home. I'm just you know, I'm taking a tour of my kitchen. This is a bit weird. You know, my kids are hell, needs a cart, my phone's got broken, we can't do any homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at least we've got alcohol and music. So yeah. And like you said, like before <laughs> all of this mad year happened, people probably would if you had suddenly done that, people have been like, What the hell is this? Was it kind of ever questionable in your head to let people into your home and stuff? I mean, you're quite private, aren't you? So it's I am, yeah. was that kind of a I mean, big deal, no. You know what it wasn't, but the reason was because it's like when you're saying like people who weren't fans of me were watching. That actually, I, it, honestly, I didn't feel like I was doing it as kind of like, oh, it's me and my day job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I felt like, what do I do? What's the thing I find uh, helps me as a good tonic when I'm feeling wobbly? And it's always been music. Yeah. And so in our house, we constantly have music on. You know, my toddler is obsessed with dancing and music. So it's just played around the house all the time. And it cheers us up and it gets us through the day and it sets the tone. And if there's a bit of tension, we put on music to sort of alleviate that. It's, you know, we very much have a soundtrack going on. So it felt more like that. Like, this is how our family cope with with a lockdown and with, um, you know, all the stuff that's been going on. And uh, and it was just nice that it kind of seemed to resonate with people, really. Yeah, totally. And it yeah. meant so much to me. Honestly, I used to read through all the comments and... You know, I loved it, and I I've made new new friends, acquaintances after after it, which was really lovely too. It just captured the imagination and make people feel kind of sense of warm because I know in television we realised everyone wanted to watch programmes that have been on for years or yeah. reruns they wanted the comfort and they wanted Definitely. so even though your thing was new it was almost like them became a comfort blanket every week like you yeah, said because you just knew it was Friday and time to have a drink yeah and singing old <laughs> songs I know singing like stuff from like my childhood and songs from like musicals and just really delving into my proper like feel good you know I'm feeling sad where's Julie Andrews and how did you yeah because I was going to say <laughs> Julie Andrews and probably the Madonna song like yes. did so well oh, like, I did love you, that that's did, one of my favourite songs of all time and did you find it easy to pick songs then did you just yes. literally loved it because normally you don't do covers I suppose as well so was it great I to... do though actually I love doing a cover covers are brilliant and um, at first I was doing covers of songs I'd already sung before, sung so, before I was going, yeah. Yeah, so I was like messaging producers I hadn't worked with for a while and saying oh do you remember we did a cover of you know like one of them was crying at the discotheque, yes, actually. Yes, which is one of my favourite songs Yeah, ever. it's brilliant. Isn't it? <laughs> so things like that, I was like kind of delving, like, what have I done a cover of? Yeah. And then I discovered all the karaoke backing tracks on iTunes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, they're a bit rubbish. And then I did one one week and actually, like, everybody was fine with it. So I thought, okay, now that, okay, now it's open season. I can <laughs> yes. literally do anything. <laughs> and even now, I've got a list in my phone of songs I'd like to do. And no, performing covers is just joyful i adore it and you released crying at the discotheque mm. did you have you just gone in and recorded that properly now or mm. yeah with the- yeah so i've done a new version of that with these producer called jules and stone i used to work with a lot in my sort of um like my second third fourth album and that sort of time the album is basically a collection of singles which i haven't put in one place before but also i put quite a lot of covers in there so like true faith and as a pulp cover there's like over 20 songs on that record so yeah that's been really fun to put together too and what music did you kind of grow up listening to who were your who were your inspirations when you were young well probably all the people i sang, all the the people sang now, yeah you know when i was really little it was 
kind of cross-section of like weirdness because my mum and my dad were quite influential but they liked so my mum gave me things like Paul Simon okay, um, and probably introduced me to things like Sound of Music and Grease yeah. that. my dad gave me Pink Floyd and Beatles and The Doors and Who and things like that and then by myself I was kind of really into pop so Tony Basil and David Bowie and Madonna and Prince and you know, when I got older, on Vogue and I mean, Linda Carlisle. Yeah, just like, I was like, yeah, honestly, just cramming in. But all the stuff I liked when I was little, I still really love. So like Ballroom Blitz, which I used to, you know, bop about to when I was in single digits. I still adore It's like everything kind of, I just keep adding to the pile. I got asked the other day about what my guilty pleasure song, and I just really don't agree with that term at all. Like, I don't feel guilty no, about any of the songs I like. oh If it's God, a good no. song, it's a good song. It's fine. And then it's gone on to do, obviously, you've done a Radio 2 show now, mm. uh, Kitchen Disco, and you're going on tour with the Kitchen Disco. So what can people expect from the Kitchen Disco kind of on tour? Is it, how do you kind of translate <laughs> your kitchen to well, a stage? I think I've got to literally build a kitchen. I know, you? I think you're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. so I kind of, I like the idea of having the window seat. Are we your to be on tour with you all night? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no did they enjoy it, by the way? And the, did they love it? They I mean, did, actually. And I think, again, you know, you're talking about privacy and I think context is everything so for them even though I Richard and I knew that we were broadcasting and people watching for them they were only ever watching their mum singing to the back of their dad's yeah. phone and yeah, it was yeah. very much you know relaxed and and I had my microphone was going direct into Richard's phone so that they people could hear me singing but I could hear what was really happening like the kids asking like I'm hungry he hit me you know well, I, I'm only going to get changed let off like some kind of uh, yeah. firework into yeah. you yeah. Yeah. those All are the magical that. bits I think <laughs> I think people A were thinking oh my god this is like she's got five kids this is mad but also going oh my god if she can do this we can do I can cope at home with my two children it was fun but it was chaos like, yeah you know, I, that was, there was and every week I was always very nervous about is this the one where someone's going to hurt themselves or something's going to happen that's really bad and then I just think look if something goes, goes wrong we just stop you know it's not I don't have to see it through to the end just because I've you know it's, it's for fun it's yeah for fun. yeah and like you said you're a musician <laughs> or I think anyone that works in the arts it is that frustration when you can't do and there's two of you mm. so does that make it t- ten times worse because I know I'm married to someone out of television I went out with lots of people in television it was too much like having two people yeah it makes it like so do you find that hard you two in the way that you're both you know what not really because I think we it works quite well having me, me I'm the I'm a front person on stage so I'm more of an extrovert on stage but actually socially I'm more introverted and we're sort of the flip of that so Richard as a bass player he's used to his role in the band being like sort of keeping it grounded yeah. and, and locking in the rhythm and then socially he's more you know the front man yeah exactly so yeah. it kind of works quite well like that really and I like the fact that he knows what my work is and also he works really closely with we're both very involved in each other's projects if if it's appropriate yeah. so like with my podcast he does all my editing because you know lockdown we I'm like hey doing. yeah <laughs> that we both got something doing our editing yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's done absolutely loads of work for me poor, poor thing and then um and do you realize we're doing the podcast i listen to myself back and realize i say the same like i say uh, um all the time uh, yeah i don't uh, really listen to it back so that's, that's, that's my recommendation <laughs> that's the magic, for that. just put it out yeah god i mean I love what other people say, but yeah, I, I don't understand why we're so predisposed to hate the sound of our own voices. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, what is that? And there's something with voices, because I always got told that like when you when you lose someone, when someone dies, and if you think of it now, you can't ever think of their actual voice, which is true. Oh, that's a if you try thing. to think of someone, you can't actually think of how they sound like, but we're so preoccupied with our own yeah, yeah. voice. I think I don't know what we think we sound like, but we always sound 10 times differently when we listen back to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Is that the same as singing? It can't be the same as singing. Because I, I suppose singers and actors are kind of the similar in the way that actors have to go on and just 
you know, like I always say to actors, like if you have to do, say, a love scene, it's not, they have to go, it's not me, it's that character. And they mm. have to be able to put themselves in that. And mm. I suppose like you said, as a singer, you get up on stage and you just, is it kind of like a Sophie Ellis Baxter, the singer, and has to come out to... Mm. You know what? I think when I was younger, maybe, but the older I get, the more there's less of a gap between me on stage and me off stage, really. I think I've become a lot more relaxed with myself and I've worried so much less about what people think. Yeah, I think that's the thing um, as you get older, isn't it? You know, I mean, no, I think you could probably see just from the, the kitchen disco, really, I'll be chatting and then singing and then chatting and it's not, there's no, there's less and less of a gap. I've, and I've really enjoyed that for me. It's been really nice to sort of, take that further funny enough you know before we start recording we we're talking about gay and it's actually a gay performance that kind of changed my performing really because when i was first starting i was so nervous and so shy and i used to stand very very still when i was performing and even when i did groove jet which is like a proper dance record i was like i'm not gonna dance you know i'm just gonna stay <laughs> yeah. really still and it felt appropriate to me then i felt quite guarded and i quite liked the fact that i was doing something a bit different because it protected me from yeah the, compared to other people so I was like I'll just stay still and, and hold my own but as I got older you know my inhibition sort of you know shifted you don't care so much and then I did a GAY which was my first performance back after I'd had my first baby so maybe he was maybe like three or something and I just went on stage and I was like oh my god I just don't care that much anymore like that and it was lovely because I felt like so much more connected to the crowd and the moment and everything so it really changed my life a little bit really so, yeah, no, I don't really feel like I do put on a hat of, like, okay, no, no yeah, I'm a yeah, singer. Yeah. I feel like my job when I sing is to tell the story and to open that box, but I've I've sort of learned how to do that better with my, within my head, I think. And I think I remember, because I worked in kids' television, the Saturday show, and you were on that quite a few times, oh, yeah, and that yeah. was the time of kind of, it was very popular, it was steps and um, hearsay and all of that. And I remember on your podcast, you, when you talked to Mylene Class, you talked about being on the tour bus with, like, hearsay and Danny Bellingfield and feeling quite isolated because it was very in your face like everyone doing big you know everyone was out so I remember at the time thinking you stood apart it must have been quite hard to be within that mix of pop I suppose at the time but you did so well because mm. I think but was it, it was it quite hard being in a, like a record stable of those people where yeah well I think I found the pop tag at that time was used as a way to sort of make you try and put you down a bit really and I kept saying but pop's responsible for some of my favorite things yeah. ever you know a lot of what David Bowie has done and, you know, Prince and everything, that would come under that term. I mean, obviously it's taken, It's there's lot of different strands, different genres, but some of it's very poppy, just yeah. pure, melodic, three-and-a-half-minute songs. And so I felt like pop was sort of used as a bit of a dirty word. And I think because I'd come from an indie band before that and then done a dance record, my, my journey to being a sort of pop star was quite different, really. To everyone else, yeah. And so I felt like I needed to, carry with me the things about those things I'd loved and why I'd wanted to do them and and also I kind of wanted to not feel like anyone was going to tell me like oh, we think you should wear more denim and get yes. a friend yeah, yeah. but to be honest I think some of that was in my head as well and I was like 21 when I brought out my first album and I think I was very caught up in what people thought and which everyone is and anyone listening yeah. to this I would say who's younger you realise, don't you, so much as you get older that, you know, you do care so much less about what people think. And it's you, one of the untold joys of getting older. Yeah, it really is, it. isn't it? Because you it just so care much. so much at the beginning. I would say, look, you know, if you join EastEnders now, if you're 18, you know, it changes your life. And also it's really hard age to join because you care yeah. so much. And obviously you, at that height of that pop fame then, the social media wasn't around. 
I mean, do you think things would have been 10 times different if social media was, you know, worried about so much what you think about? Yeah, I think it would have been harder to leave things behind as well. I love the fact that a lot of the things I learned were sort of slightly more under the radar, to be honest. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, you'd have to really hunt around, I think, to find a lot of my like early interviews and performances and all that. And that's been quite nice for me, to be honest. I don't yeah, really want to be didn't. confronted with a lot of that. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think... I think the social media thing is it's sort of finding its feet a little bit more now, but I think that in its infancy, it was probably a really, yeah, it felt a lot more like um, clunky trying to marry it up with yeah. music. And record companies definitely didn't know the significance of it. What to do? On. No, or nor did, nor did uh, television companies. And I, and I just think at the time, again, it fed into that thing of wanting to be loved. It was how many followers you could get for people. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of was adding even more into that. Exactly. Which is quite crazy. And now I think hopefully people are coming out the other side of it. Yeah. But how has the music industry changed? Because back then I remember like S Club 7, you know, like they'd have their heads held up as they were having their makeup done because they were so shattered. They're being flown around the world. I'm not sure if it was the same as you, but have things changed, do you think, in, in the music industry over the I mean, obviously they have changed over the years but it seems now that you can do a lot more yourself rather than I think it depends completely on the artist what's going on at the time the opportunities the management the team around all that kind of thing I mean I watched the Avicii documentary last night that's on oh, yes. yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And, you know and he was very much at the mercy of um management just not really hearing him say over and over and over again I I'm not doing this and I can't I really do this anymore that's hard to watch, I found. So no, I think that's definitely down to like the management, the people who are listening to you, who's caring about you, what you prioritise. I think by and large, generally speaking, if you're caught up in the momentum of something and something's been put out into the world and you've got all these opportunities, you're probably going to want to take them. And yeah. so that is quite daunting. And I know when my first album came out and, you know, Murder on the Dance Floor was everywhere and I felt like really freaked out by I know, because you had that. Busy you had one of those songs that just took yeah. off hugely it did i mean it's it's exciting but i was also very much that thinking you know i'd look at my diary and i'd think this isn't my own choice you know i've just got no days off at weeks yeah. on end uh but i think you know people still your instinct as a if you get those opportunities to take them to do it. and that's yeah. fine yeah and i think the other thing is that generally speaking record companies really are very happy if they have quite a self-sufficient artist they don't want to create extra work for themselves so if you're someone that says I can write my own songs, I can produce my own stuff, I know how, what I want to wear and Amazing. I'm going to direct my video, they'll go, great, well, that's that's brilliant. So yeah. I think, you know, they're, they're all for that input. So I don't think record companies are necessarily this kind of evil beast trying to control everything. They just, they'll just get involved where they, where they yeah. can if they need to. But then if that's when it can go a bit wobbly as well because then you've suddenly got like a committee of people all deciding Your, what should be happening yeah. next. Because in the end, I suppose you are a product in a way as well, aren't you? Well, absolutely. And it's art as commerce and art yeah. and commerce are always going to be slightly uneasy bedfellows, really. Totally. Um, and you're always going to be fighting in one corner. But, you know, in a weird way, I had 10 years at Universal and I made some really good friends there. And even though there was a lot about it I was kicking against, in a weird way, it kind of suited me to be kicking against it. It's a bit like school. It's a bit like being yeah, at school. Yeah, you're always going to kick against, yeah. aren't you? You think, oh, yeah. you know, it was quite nice to be able to moan about my major label. Yeah. Because they also gave me some amazing times. I mean, I flew all around the world. Uh, there's no way I could have done that as in if I had an as independent an, yeah. label, my you know, funding it myself, whatever. So I feel like in a way I kind of got to have the best of both worlds because I had a decade of making all those inroads and experiencing all that and learning so much. And then when I left university, I was like, okay, this is like the equivalent of 
leaving a company and being given like a really nice pen or something. Yes, yeah. Like I'm going to set. Oh, it's like before you get married. It's like you've yeah. you've you've now you now realise what what yeah, you need yeah. all the so, experience. Yeah, um, feeds in. And how's it changed with like mu- you mentioned music videos because music videos obviously like Madonna we talked about was you know instrumental in changing the face of music videos really mm. they're not are they important anymore i don't know they're not are i don't they? think they have the no. same same weight to be honest no i think like do you need to make a music video or no uh, i would probably say no, no not really i think if you're a big shiny very successful band or pop star it's probably still something that fans would get really would want but music television doesn't have the same no some currency it did it's now social media and digital and streaming and radio well, the idea, because I remember the Saturday show and Live and Kicking before that, it was like if the artist was on that, they would like climb the charts by loads. Yeah. Like it's weird how not in that much time, things have totally and utterly changed. But that's also as well because at that time when those Saturday programmes were on, music was still very much part of the sort of a bedrock of youth culture. Yeah, so totally. kids wanted to watch perform. I mean, music is still there, but it's it's shifted the emphasis of where they're accessing it and how they enjoy it you know kids don't watch uh, terrestrial telly and get up on a saturday morning going i better drag my duvet downstairs and watch you no. know telly well, they don't really watch anything timed do they i mean it's literally no. like everything's on demand everything's on demand yeah and that's exactly how they want to have their music as well you know even my one-year-old can say like alexa you know? oh my god that's amazing yeah because he knows like <laughs> got this you know mystery voice in the kitchen and... yeah whereas mine still doesn't work for me really oh god, i'm rubbish with it oh you not really old. get your voice or something no oh, no yeah maybe now i've got the podcast she will it starts to feel a bit personal after a while, <laughs> i know yeah Did growing up, obviously your mum was, um, again, I loved your mum growing up watching Blue Peter. You know, that must have shaped you in some form and in your view of the industry and how you thought about it. Did it make you want it more? Did it make, I never, Mm, never It's hard for me to be objective. (laughs) I mean, my mum started, um, she was acting on telly from when I was like six, I think six months old. Yeah, wow. You know, Blue Peter came along when I was four. And so between when I was four to eight, that's what she was doing. So I don't know if I was really actively aware of like, oh, this is really shaping me. <laughs> no, no. But, but um, did you have like kids? What was it like basically having your mum being on telly? I mean, did you? Did Yeah, quite surreal really because I think for the first bit, I thought that's just what everybody's mum did. And then as I was going through primary school, I realised, oh, actually this is just me. And then initially that was quite a cool currency and I'd be like, oh, my mum, my mum's yeah. famous. She's on Blue Peter. And people go, wow. And they'd want to be my friend. And then they'd quickly be like, actually that's, quite annoying that you've pointed that out and we don't really want to be friends with you so I kind of had a you know yin and yang normally was within about 10 minutes of meeting someone new um but I definitely think I suppose the thing my parents did that was really great because my dad worked in telly too is they both had really creative jobs and I grew up in quite creative households and so thinking along those lines and getting excited about creative ideas was really always given you know is allowed to be a priority to you but i think i i also kicked against telly i didn't really want to be involved in telly yeah so for me music was a perfect place for me to create my own my own space and they didn't necessarily know i could tell them what was going on rather than them tell me and yeah, I yeah, like yeah, that. yeah 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 and your and everyone should listen to it. your interview with your mum is really great on your podcast oh, thank and you. it's quite great that she felt quite guilty actually about she thought she spent too much time yeah, I didn't, really, stuff. I didn't really know that at the time. I mean, we were very close for, you know, it's literally just uh, my mum and I for, for about three yeah. three years. So that was a very in, intense little time in a way. It's funny because I don't really think about Blue Peter at all now. Obviously, it was like decades ago. Except that 
I think a year and a half ago, they had a big birthday for Blue Peter's 60th birthday. And I was booked to sing on the show and my mum was booked to come oh, wow. and do some filming yeah. for it. And so they had it all in Manchester and they had as many Blue Peter presenters as were around. So I don't know how many there were, but definitely, you know, in the, in the tens. Like, yeah. Loads and loads of Blue Peter presenters in one place. And I found that really weird. Weird. Yeah, because it was so inherent to me. Like, even the theme tune, if I heard yeah, it, yeah, I'd yeah. be like, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's sort of, you know, it's it's sort of almost part of my DNA. So that that felt really strange. Like, oh, I'm a grown-up, but this is all... This is all really so, surreal. Yeah, but like a place in my head I don't often go. Well, it's the same with soap. <laughs> so what's weird, weird about working in soap is, especially when the first time you go to, like, the soap wars, is that... I was there with Emmerdale, but like everyone's there from EastEnders, yeah. Coronation Street. And it is surreal because it's. That must just, feel very weird. Even if you don't watch soap, it's a part of your. It's part of our makeup, like oh, yeah. TV in this country, isn't it? Yeah. So, I used to watch soaps. I used to. They're very comforting. Which one did you watch? EastEnders. EastEnders, yeah. yeah I used to watch the Omnibus days, on a, yeah, the on Sunday. Days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have and you ever been? No. No. And that was so when I started. Actually, you know what? My. Was it? Did it used to be next to where Pop of the Pop was? Yes, yeah, Ballroom Woods. Yeah, yeah, I think I did. What maybe wander into because what I used once. to love there, and I always <laughs> tell this story is that you used to go into the canteen, all for canteen, but you used to have like say you sat there or share, <laughs> and then someone from Holby City dripping with blood, a couple yeah. of kids in their uniform from Grange Hill, and Doc Cotton in the corner. Yeah, it was perfect. like the most surreal, brilliant, yeah, weird way into telly. I do remember that actually. So I was actually talking of famous kids and parents. Normally, what I do on the podcast is kind of test people about their characters. So I just thought I'd <laughs> choose some people who've got famous parents and you have to guess the famous parent well, okay. they're quite easy to be honest Enrique oh yeah Julio Julio uh, Kim Wilde <laughs> didn't even need a surname no <laughs> Kim Wilde uh, his, Marty Wilde Marty Wilde yeah mm-hmm. what I love about Kim and people like that there's a big influx at the moment of people coming back isn't there mm. like bands and singers coming back and kind of reinventing themselves again well I've watched Kim Wilde perform live and um, she's brilliant she was amazing yeah really and Belinda good. Carlisle that you said oh, I went I and saw Belinda. her and she was incredible yes and actually Belinda tweeted me a couple of times Did about she? the kitchen discos and I was like honestly if it's only been for that that's like, amazing it's worth it because I was on I love Belinda Carlisle so much and I, I had do, all yeah. her albums when I was growing up and I listened to all the songs and I think she's great I was dreading going to see her because I thought is it going to be like you know someone and she was just she was just still her she was absolutely Yay. incredible did Madonna did Madonna didn't get in touch then after Madonna no I mean <laughs> <laughs> I have a complicated relationship with Madonna because I love her like she was honestly such an idol to me when I was growing up I thought I was the biggest Madonna fan ever but then I think when I got older I was a bit confused by some of the things she put out and the way she did it. I still find her a fascinating musician. Yes, yeah. And she's, I think the thing about her that's been really underrated actually is her songwriting. She's heavily involved creatively with the songs she sings and she's done some, some incredible songs. I mean, I personally think Like a Prayer is one of the most oh, perfect pop records. it's one of the best songs records. ever. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But she's written so many good songs and I think, you know, people don't really give her the credit for that. And she's a phenomenal performer. But yeah, I went to see her live at the Madame X shows. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, I heard I found it, weird things. I loved, some of it I loved and other parts of it I thought I didn't quite quite understand the artistic statement. But I'll always be someone that supports, supports her. You know? her. Yeah. Well, I just think it's amazing. She's, you know, to have longevity in this world as mm. a musician or in the arts is incredible. And she's managed to always kind of find yeah. those new ways of doing things. Or She's always wanted to create controversy, which I kind of like and dislike in the same way. But She's actually really smart. I mean, that was oh, one totally, thing that came across yeah. with the Madame X shows as she was sort of chatting about politics and, you know, being properly sort of on the money and funny and all those sorts of things. So I find her... I find her like she's... She's one of the people I think I would dread meeting because <laughs> I think I would be so 
scared. Yeah, but I, quite, you know I mean? don't you yeah. think that's quite cool as well? I know, though? it is really cool. It's quite yeah. good to be scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'd love it if people were frightening me sometimes. Apparently, I listened to a journalist <laughs> talking. She was from Vogue or something. She said literally she was... She got just got put in this chair in her house for like three hours while she waited for it to come down. Wow. I know. And then the first thing she was like, she was just tiny. But yeah, mad. Just <laughs> some other people. I, I didn't realise this one. Angelina Jolie. Oh, well, I know. I can see his face immediately in my in my head, her actor father. Oh, you know that, uh, yeah. But what's his name? John Voight. John Voight, yeah. Never they don't have a very happy relationship, I don't know. Oh, don't they? I don't oh, okay. So. I never realised that at all. <laughs> and I didn't realise this either, which is so obvious. Dakota Johnson. Uh, well, she isn't she um, Melanie Griffiths yes, and Don Johnson? Johnson. Yeah, never realised that. <laughs> so just going back, that, well, no, talking of telly and acting, this I found amazing that you were actually, you did Game of Thrones. You got cut. <laughs> I didn't get cut. Oh, actually. you didn't get cut? No, no, I didn't actually. I think that was misconstrued because I said it was a, I said you won't see us. Ah. Meaning because they were like, I don't know how many thousand <laughs> so, so, extras. Yeah, yeah. And it was also quite dark. So how did that come about? Um, so basically... Um, Richard is a really, really big Game of Thrones fan. He'd watched it from the very beginning. I joined from about series four or five, and I really enjoyed it. But I think for him, it was always, you know, he'd been there since, you know, the very beginning, very beginning. Of, this, of the show. <laughs> He's like, this is mine. Yeah, yeah, well, he loves it. And um, oh, it got, he introduced me to it. So we, we watched the last few series and got really into it. And we sometimes have friends over to watch it with us. You know, it was really fun. And then we, he bumped into someone from a band, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been someone from Bastille or... Yeah, I think it was Bastille. And they'd been on the show. Oh, wow. And he was chatting to them about it. And basically, I wrote to... I've got um, an agent that sort of does sort of TV and, you know, sort of acting maybe thick jobs sort of under that banner. And I messaged her and I just said, can you just see... I just say to them, I would love to be an extra if there's any way of doing it. I don't know how this works, but I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I'll get myself over to Belfast and I'll do it. And she wrote back going, yep, they've said, Oh, my God, that's <laughs> So I was like, oh, my God, this is really going to happen. And then they cancelled that day, and I was like, oh, no. And then they went, okay, yeah. And then, then it happened the second time. Uh, so Richard and I had this crazy little trip. He must have absolutely loved it. Yeah, well, we both did. It was really yeah. fun. I've we seen the pictures. Up. I mean, you were properly like... Yeah, yeah, we turned up. Out. It's so funny because they've been filming where they, they film for absolute years now. I think it might even be 10 years in this location in, in Belfast. So there's a low, whole sort of community, economy of people that are all connected with the show yes. and being extras. Yeah, yeah. And they've been extras from the beginning. So if you're walking around Belfast, you see these sort of tall blokes with like long hair and long beards <laughs> and they're probably Game of Thrones extras. And um, so, you know, I was chatting to some of the extras and one guy's like, yeah, I've, I've died, you know, six times. And, <laughs> um, you know, some of them are very particular about, actually, she shouldn't be holding that one because that kind of dragon glass would only kill certain type of white walker right. or whatever, you oh know, they're God. quite sort of on it with the facts of Game of Thrones. But it was just really fun and we just hung out and met some of the leads <laughs> and we're, we were kind of given this sort of very lovely, like almost like a VIP extra experience. Yeah. I mean, we felt very jammy. They kind of really looked after us and I think they'd had some chess world champion in the night before and they were about to have some American football oh, okay. star the so next day. The kind of- so it's and I think, I think they do it as well. They did it because it was such a long shoot, such long days. The ones we were doing was the night shoot of filming. So, you know, we sort of start at 8 p.m. We finished at like really three or four in the morning. And that had been going on for weeks, weeks. They did six weeks of filming that one big battle in the oh third episode God, of the last series. So I think they had extras to kind of keep the morale of everybody around as well yeah, because it yeah, gave yeah. a little bit of something to talk about. So I think that's why they were letting people come in and dress up. And That's amazing, though. What an experience. Yeah, I loved it. My I loved husband, it. when I started, so my husband's been in all everything. So he was... Uh, oh, he's he an extra? Got, 
He's not an extra, no. no. But I just dragged him in to be on it. Because I was like, this would be great for you. (laughs) So I cut him from EastEnders. He had to to ask Phil for a call. And he was a policeman in Emmerdale. And yeah. Mm. Um, Did it give you, have you got any kind of acting bug? Do you kind of, is it something you'd like Uh, to do? It's it's what I thought I'd do when I was a teenager. Because you've done a short film and stuff, haven't you? I've done bits and bobs over the years. And I, when I was a teenager, I did National Youth Theatre and like any local play I was really hungry for it and I loved the idea of it but to be honest it was always I felt like when I started singing I took the elements of acting that I'd loved and I took the music I loved and I sort of found my own space with it but but yeah, if you'd asked me at fourteen, I wanted to be, I would have said actor. So, so you would, you can't see yourself going to the West End. Well, hopefully, going. No, I don't really see it because I like honestly, I'm so impressed with anyone that does that. I think <laughs> it's a really different discipline. The commitment is often really intense. Oh yeah, a friend of mine, he was doing West End shows, and he said the first couple of weeks are really, really hard. But then after that, your voice almost gets in place where you can just sing anything right, the whole time okay. because you've sort of got it into this really amazing place so i think that would be fun but i once had a meeting actually about doing a, a musical and i was intrigued so i went along for the meeting with the producer and at the end of it he said out of 10 how how keen are you on doing this and i said seven or eight yeah. and he said don't do it unless you're a 10 right because okay, it yeah. takes so it'll take so much from you yeah. unless you're starting out of like 10 out of 10 i want to do this don't and it was a really good bit of advice actually and I thought and I appreciated him doing that very much because I thought you've kind of given me permission as well to, yes, say, to say okay I'm not quite there and um, like your podcast because that would be spinning plates that would be incredibly hard having kids as well you know because it's a totally different lifestyle it's also just not really what I want for myself no. I mean I think if the right thing was there mate you know I, I think when when work is right and you love it like when I did Strictly that's kind of the equivalent I guess like that was very intensive it yes. lasted for nearly four months I was working all the time six days a week you know I was really committed to it and a lot of learning and all this and I, I let myself do that because yeah, I really immersed in yeah it I thought really it's to. a one-off and it's unique and fun and what the heck I'm never gonna Can do you this still again. get up at like a wedding and do a proper <laughs> that's why I'd love no to one's ever asked me to I'd do love a waltz. to learn all of those dances <laughs> I did love all that but I mean I suppose the musical thing for me would be the same thing like yeah. if someone said it's guys and dolls I think I'd find that hard to turn down because I adore that musical yeah. but I'm probably getting a bit old to be Adelaide these days <laughs> and then one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was Song Diaries the album because that's incredible I think ah, that you thanks. got songs re-recorded I mean was that amazing for you to listen to I mean how about how did that come about really the idea of murder on the dance <laughs> Murder on the dance floor kind of being done with an orchestra. It did feel a little bit like a moment of madness. And I suppose as well, it's a kind of, <laughs> it's quite funny because obviously, and I'm, I've done the Kitchen Discos album, which is like the sort of pure yes, version totally, of it. Yeah. Um, which obviously, you know, was a sort of reaction to what's happened in, in my life. But when I did the song diaries, I was at a point where a lot of people were saying about greatest hits. And I just thought, I don't really feel like I know why I'd be doing that right now. I really want to do something a bit more challenging. So I've got a friend of mine called Amy who's a cellist but also an arranger and I took her out for lunch and I was like, I'd love to do all my songs, all my singles orchestrally Amazing. if you'll do it. She's like, great. <laughs> but it was it was a bit like a sort of grand designs project as I always think of it because, you know, there's no cheap way to make a sort of massive no, orchestral nice. album, <laughs> particularly if you're like, actually, no, it does need harp. Oh, no, it does need <laughs> Yeah. So I was literally just adding bells and whistles onto everything. <laughs> 
and it was it was glorious and i loved it but it was halfway through i was a bit like oh crap because it's a bit like planning a, a big build construction site. yes so you kind of get everybody you know get all the builders in you've got your budget and you're yeah. like right we're definitely sticking to this and then you make your kitchen first and you yeah. spend a little bit more money than you meant to in the kitchen and you're like well now the kitchen looks so incredible i have to make the rest of the house match yeah yeah it's yeah a bit like that really so and did you go in for the do you remember the first day hearing like your yeah. songs play that must be like total incredible yeah and actually the the biggest gift i got from that record was that i then toured with an orchestra wow. i had this amazing guy that called ollie rosenblatt who basically took a punt on me and it really i really appreciated it because i was trying to work out how to do the album live and my world is very much normally the sort of traditional rock and roll world those kind of venues those kind of promoters my agent all that sort of stuff so, you know, if you're looking at performing with, I don't know, even a 10-piece string section and a band and performing at those sort of level of gigs, it's just very hard to make it make sense economically. Yeah. And then you think, well, what's the point of doing an orchestral record if you're then going out on tour and with a band and four string players and, or something? Yeah. It just, it's, it's not one thing or another. So we were really stuck. And um, a friend of mine on Facebook said, oh, well, my, my other half, actually, he puts on orchestral tours. So I, I phoned him up for some advice and he ended up saying, I'm going to do this with you. Wow. So he booked um, the Festival Hall, Royal Festival Hall, a 40-piece orchestra. And then I sort of filled in all the gaps and I had this extraordinary night. And I was like six months pregnant with my fifth baby, sung with this incredible orchestra. And it was honestly like one of my favorite gigs of all time. I just was in heaven. And then he said, right, we'll, we'll do a tour of it. So we went from playing wow. these very much these sort of rock and roll venues to playing places like the Palladium and all these beautiful theatres up and down the country, places that were built in Victorian times and before, and just incredible, you know, places that are designed for orchestras. And, you know, I suddenly was on tour with over 20, you know, orchestral classical musicians and my band. So the first half of the gig would be very, you know, grown up. I have a conductor, a friend of mine, Elliot, I'd walk out and I'd sing with the orchestra for like maybe eight or nine songs. And then my band would come out and we'd do disco, but with the orchestra. Wow. And I was, every night I was like, this is where I want to be. And I just adored it. It was so beautiful. And the orchestra sounded so lovely. And I took Mickey on tour with me because he was born by then. So he was, you know, four months old. Orchestras are just, have you ever seen one of the peak on kind of nights where they, yeah. they which are incredible as well yeah. the orchestra like your favourite like Ibiza tunes yeah the orchestra is absolutely incredible well that's basically what we did except that yeah. rather than DJing the songs we had a band live band doing that incredible. as well so have you, you always had the musicians. same band with you have you had the band for years pretty much band? pretty much and Richard's in my band um, my husband He that's how we met uh, oh, so, exactly. yeah, yeah. he did wasn't in when we first started dating he wasn't in my band because he was doing the feeling yeah. very intensively his band and also we felt like maybe we needed to sort of Separate oh, well, now life. we're a couple. We should probably do yeah. this separately. And then when I did my first album independently, which is a record called Wonderlust, which was really folky, he was really supportive of that and got back involved with helping me sort of support me through the recording process and, you know, bit, you know, helping with production and all this kind of thing. So after that, I was like, well, you've got to tour it. And we've been touring together ever since, actually, and I love it. I love it. And that's what I love about your music, because like, that, that was folky. And then I love the dance, but there's a kind of a whole remix version of that, which is one of my yeah. favourite. That's absolutely oh, amazing. Thanks. That's what I love about you experimenting. And it's that, do you have to fight for that to, to be able to do something? No, it's just nah. comes. And it's amazing, though, that I think that, you can organically do that and people have followed I'm very it. fortunate. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I think you know what it's like. The, the more experience you have, the more you start to learn what makes you tick. And I realised that I actually quite like being a bit scared and doing things that are a bit challenging. And the lovely thing about making Wonderlust, which I paid for completely myself, 
was that it didn't matter. I, I was I said to my manager, I'm going to make this record, and commercially, I have no idea what it's going to do. Yeah. And it'll probably not do anything because I've done dance up to now and pop and, you know, this might not be what people want from me, but I just feel like it's exactly what I need to do for me. And so I made this record thinking, you know, I'll just make really selfish decisions for like yeah, the first time ever. Really. Yeah, um, and I made it with friends and then it did end up actually being very, it did, did a lot better than we were expecting. And it was like, ah, that's actually taught me a really big lesson, you know, just, Follow your nose. Do what you're passionate about. Yeah. People, I think people sense that. They really do. And also they're not daft. And, no. You know, if you can have on your bookshelf, you know, something really lightweight next to something weighty. And if you can listen to, you know, enjoy music that's from a right, really yeah, broad spectrum. Why on earth would you not be able to accept that from an artist you like? Like, yeah. it's just like, I was being really stupid. Like, I was sort of underplaying my own the people that have followed my career like actually no you can credit them with a bit more than that and i think one of the most moving songs is young blood and you wrote that didn't you about your mum's like which is yeah that's about my mum my stepdad yeah amazing that song and Uh, yeah and i made the whole album with ed harcourt as well who's amazing singer songwriter and we've done we're now doing our third album together and he produced the orchestral album as well and is it nice i mean i this is why i'm so jealous of people like you being able to put down in words and write a song about something that's really personal and that means a lot do you, I mean, I'd love to be able to do that. It's amazing have, have when you can, I, God, I don't think I'll, I think I'll be useless. Um, but uh, is it amazing? Do you, do you feel how amazing that is doing that? Do you know what I mean? Is it? I think certainly. I feel very, very, very lucky that I have a creative outlook, outlet for anything I'm feeling. So, yeah. you know, that's exactly what the, the kitchen discos have been. I mean, next year I was always going to tour. I was always going to write more songs. But touring the kitchen disco because there happened to be this global pandemic which yes. meant we did these gigs from home which meant I felt connected to people which meant I wanted to do that but singing to people like for me it's so lovely that I can have this sort of continuation yes. of what happened to me in life and everything I write is like a diary entry anyway you know my second album I've got a friend of mine who I was working with at the time and he's like I can hardly listen to it because I was going through a breakup with a boyfriend right. and it's yeah, you know yeah, it's, all, yeah, it's yeah. all in there yeah like if you I can put into it as much or as little of what's my life and sometimes I don't sometimes I think I've written about something that's nothing to do with me and I listen back to it and I'll be like oh no actually that's really that's obvious what that's yeah. about <laughs> and yeah I, but I think you should you shouldn't underestimate yourself with writing because it's like a muscle you have to learn how to do I'm I don't know. I'm not like Dolly Parton, like up at four and writing, you know, four songs before breakfast. I've, I've, I've encouraged it in myself because I'm really inspired with people I work with. And, right. Okay. You know, the trick is to always be in the room with someone you think is way better than you, and it'll pull you up. You it know, totally, that's I'm never, totally true, actually. never the most talented person in any room, and that's 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 like a really good thing. I don't. I'm not saying that to put myself down. It's like genuinely help me out like it's really lovely to be around people that are brilliant what they do really inspires you i think and that's the message to anyone listening actually that is what you've got to do and you never know what you might be able to do if you put your mind to it so yeah i've never actually tried to write the song but exactly there um, you go. yeah <laughs> well it's been amazing to meet you and thank you so much for being on the podcast <laughs> and good pleasure. luck with everything and i'll be coming to see you. i'm going to give you your little soap from the box um, oh and... my god your podcast is so flash <laughs> I know, it's not you really you actually so do things i do actually <gasps> do that but i mean yeah that's amazing and i will thank see you, you in Leeds at the Kitchen Disco. Yay. Everyone go and watch it as well. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> It'll be fun, you know. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sophie Ellis-Bexter as much as I enjoyed chatting with Sophie Ellis-Bexter. 
genuinely just a lovely person so thanks so much sophie for doing that and make sure you catch her podcast spinning plates now coming up a soap star is back and it's one of the funniest most talented people i've met Catherine tilsley who plays coronation street's eva price is my next guest and honestly it's an hour of pure fun and laughs she tells me loads of stories you would never have heard before, so make sure you tune in. As normal, I'd like to thank David Stevens and the Buffy for their edit and technical wizardry. I will see you in a few days' time. Stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>